Well, good morning. John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is our third week in the Centered series, third lesson. First week we talked about who is God, the Father. Last week, Pastor TJ uh, taught us on God the Son, and today, God the Holy Spirit, His presence, His power in our life. We probably don't talk about Him enough. Gregory of Nazanzus, I actually practiced that word and I still fell over it. Gregory of Nazanzus was the Archbishop of Constantinople in the 4th century. Here's what he said about the Holy Spirit. The deity of the Holy Spirit ought to be clearly recognized in Scripture. Look at these facts. Christ is born. The Spirit is his forerunner. Christ is baptized. The Spirit bears witness. Christ is tempted. The Spirit leads him up. Christ descends. The Spirit takes his place. What great things are there in the character of God which are not found in the Spirit? What titles which belong to God are not also applied to Him? He is called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of adoption, of truth, of liberty, the Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, of godliness, of the fear of God. This only begins to show how unlimited he is. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the New Testament calls him, come to be with us. My friend Bill Constantopoulos was a retired pastor from uh, most of his ministry was in Kentucky. He made these observations about the presence of the Holy Spirit. He said it's the Holy Spirit that conditions us to be spiritually minded, that convinces us of the truth of God's word, God's word, that convicts us of sin and wrong, that compels us to live a life of holiness, that consumes us with the passion of Christ, that comforts and conforms us to the image of Christ and controls both our attitude and outlook in life. We need the Holy Spirit. It's surprising to me, maybe surprising to you, that as Jesus was preparing his disciples for his crucifixion and for his leaving of this earth, he says to them, uh, especially in the verse I read to you, but other places as well, he says to them, you know, it'll be better for you if I go away. That's just challenging. How could something be better if Jesus isn't with us? And yet, from their perspective... It really was better. Because when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit to be not just with them, but in them. All at the same time, everywhere they went, wherever they scattered across the globe, and they did scatter because of persecution. Wherever they were, wherever they went, the Holy Spirit was with them. 
Let me share some reasons why you need the Holy Spirit, and so do I. Holy Spirit is the one who cleanses us. How do we deal with the residue of the guilt of our sins? Uh, You've felt that. You've experienced that. We've done something that we know displeases God that's outside of his will and his ways, and, and we're left with the guilt of that. The heaviness, the sadness, when, when we become aware that we've disobeyed. And sometimes that guilt lingers on even after we know we've been forgiven. One person said, guilt is like the red warning light on the dashboard of the car. You can either stop and deal with the trouble, or you can break the light. Uh, that's true. You, you, you either stop and deal with the trouble, or you just ignore it, and you live with it. And you live with it, and you live with it. But living with it isn't so pleasant. It's not so good. So we deal with the guilt. There was a day when a person came to Mahatma Gandhi as Gandhi was fasting to protest the riot killings that followed the partition of Hindu India and Muslim Pakistan. And the fellow Hindu approaches and confesses a great wrong. And he says, quite shockingly, I killed a child. I smashed his head against a wall. Why, Mahatma asks. They killed my boy. The Muslims killed my son, so I killed one of their boys. Gandhi pauses and stops and And he says, I know a way out of the hell you're in. Find a child, a little boy whose mother and father have been killed, and raise him as your own. Only be sure he's a Muslim, and that you raise him as one. And when I first read that little portion of of Gandhi's life, I thought, well, you know, that's Maybe that would work. Maybe that would take care of the guilt. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized, no, that's, that's not going to remove this man's guilt. It, it might have sounded good. might have sounded like something that would work to help him appease the guilt of his sin. But the more you think about it, the more you realize that's not going to appease his guilt. Every time he looks at this little boy that he's raising, he, he's going to remember the little boy that he killed. He's going to remember the little son that he lost. That's not going to deal with his guilt. The prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36 of his prophecy says, And I will give you a new heart with new and right desires. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony heart of sin and give you a new obedient heart. And I will put my spirit in you, so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops, and I will abolish famine in the land. How do we get over the guilt? We let the Spirit of God come and and remove that stony, cold heart that's in us that led us to be... uh, wayward and disobedient to God. And we let him give us a new heart. A new heart that's that's soft, that desires what God wants, that lives for him. 
Most of you are familiar with the story of David when he had his encounter with Bathsheba. And you know that when he, he came to the place of dis- being discovered, how he immediately realized the sense of guilt that he was carrying and that it needed to be forgiven. The 51st Psalm records some of his response in his prayer. He says, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. See, God, through his Spirit, comes to us, and he removes the cold, unloving heart and gives us a new heart. Scientists have discovered that every snowflake has embedded within it a tiny piece of dust right at its core. Every snowflake has a dirty heart. In the spiritual realm, when the blood of Christ is applied to the heart of an unbeliever, it cleanses it from all sin. No defilement remains. And the Spirit comes to remove the guilt that we carry, the shame that we feel. And he sets us free from all of that. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Because there have been times in your life when you've been so keenly aware of your failure to walk with God. And you felt the heaviness of that. You felt the guilt of that. And it's the Spirit who comes to give you a new heart and to help you walk in freedom from that guilt. Well, that's the first reason you and I need the Holy Spirit. There are a lot more. Another reason is that the Holy Spirit empowers us. As the disciples were given final instructions before Jesus departed planet earth. He encouraged them to wait. Acts 1.8, he says, but when the Holy Spirit has come on you, you will receive power and will tell all people everywhere about me. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he said, wait till the Spirit comes. In essence, he was looking at them and saying, you can't do what I've given you to do without an empowerment that is beyond yourself. You can't do what I'm asking you to do with your life without the presence of the living God through the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You just don't have the power within you to accomplish the work that the Father wants us all to do without the presence of the Spirit. And so they waited. And the Spirit came A few chapters later in the book of Acts, chapter 4, it says, After this prayer, the building where they were meeting shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached God's message with boldness. These men and women who huddled away on the, the weekend of Jesus' crucifixion, fearing for their very lives, trying to hide, were so changed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that now instead of hiding, they became bold. They stood in the streets. They stood in the synagogues and the temples. And they preached the truth of Jesus Christ to all who would listen and hear. We need boldness. We need boldness. It's the Apostle Paul who reminded Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
And this indwelling spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to us. He gifts us so that we can take our place in the church and serve the purposes and the will of God. And he gifts us each in our own in different ways. Some with administration, some with knowledge, some with discernment, some with evangelism, uh, some pastor-shepherd gifting. Some is serving, some it's prophecy, some mercy, some apostleship, some teaching, some wisdom, some tongues and interpretation. And it requires all of those gifts that God puts in us so that we can work together, each serving in our own way, to accomplish what it is that the Lord wants us to do. And when I think about the church, and I think about who we are in Christ, I give thanks for each one, each having our different places, our different gifts and abilities. There are some of you that do things that I... Uh, if, if I would let myself, could just envy that I can't do what you can do. Because God made me to be me. And he wired me to be me. And he gave you different gifts. And it's in our joining together and working together. I, I don't envy because I know what my gifts are. But you know what I mean. It takes all of us to do the work that God has given us to do. And it's in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that he builds his church by placing us here to use our various gifts to the building up of the body of Christ. We need those gifts, active and alive. It's the Holy Spirit that guides us. He shows us God's path. He teaches us the truths of God. When we read the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit that helps us begin thinking through of how we are to apply that and live that out in our lives. I remember, it's a long time ago now, Linda and I moved to southeast Missouri, and uh, it was just a whole different culture and a whole different way of life than anything we'd ever experienced before to move to southeast Missouri. I, I remember one day in particular, uh, I needed to go visit one of the families of the church, but I didn't quite know where they were. Uh, you know, I had an address, but in southeast Missouri, that address doesn't really help you a whole lot because it doesn't give a house number. It just says, here's the route they live on, the rural route. Well, what's the rural route? That rural route isn't necessarily marked. And so I asked one of the other members of the church, and, and, he's, and I can't remember it exactly. It was too long ago, but, but I remember part of the instruction he gave me. And it was, take this road, turn right at this point. Take this road, turn left. And he said, you'll know where, where you need to turn next when you see the old barn beside the corner of the road on the left. And I start making my way, and I'm thinking, I see barns everywhere I look. <laughs> I mean, everywhere I look, I see barns. How in the world am I supposed to know which road this is? But that's just the way they gave directions there. And it wasn't on a map. I couldn't go get a county map because I knew maps. You give me a map and I'll find where I need to go. How much better it is now. We don't even need maps. We have these little talking boxes that tell us exactly where to turn. How far away from the next turn we are and whether we need to go right or left and whether our destination is on the right or the left. It even tries to tell us how to get through the roundabouts. That's what the Holy Spirit is for us. He's an internal GPS system that serves as a guide for us. He helps us find our destinations. He leads us to the places where 
the Spirit of God knows that we can be effective and helped and where we can be served and where we can serve. It's the Spirit of God within us. John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not be presenting His own ideas. He will be telling you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. Interesting. He will tell you about the future. He will tell you about the places where God plans for you to be. It's the Holy Spirit that fills us with love. Romans 5, and this expectation will not disappoint us. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He will fill our hearts with his love. Been some things that have happened with me recently that that have helped me to realize that I need a new infilling of the Holy Spirit because I just need more love in my heart. More love in my life. More grace. How about you? How's the glove meter on your heart? Is it filled up and topped off? Are there some struggles that you're having? Don't beat yourself up if they're there. Just pause and, and know that that little reminder is a prod of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you need more of me. Because you need more of my love in your heart. You need more of the love of God. Think about that for a moment. Think about interactions you've had over the last week. I've had to do that. I've had to make some apologies. Because I've recognized that I need more love in my heart. How about you? The Spirit's willing to come. He's willing to help you. He's willing to give you the fullness of his love. It's the Holy Spirit that prays for us. You know, sometimes there are things that I just can't put into words that I want to say to God. Scripture talks about that. The Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. For we don't even know what we should be praying for, nor how we should pray. Have you ever felt that? I don't know how to pray about this. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Oh, you and I need the Holy Spirit. Because we need him to take the things that are of the deepest yearning of our hearts that we can't even put into words in an intelligible sentence. But it's so deep within us. And the Holy Spirit prays for us. He takes that need to the throne of God. And the power of God is released in our life and the answer is given and the victory is won because of the presence of the Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit transforms us. Have you ever had a thought like this? A moment of self-awareness where you said, I don't want to be like that. That's the prodding, the nudging of the Spirit of God saying, here's this little area of your life, maybe it's a big area of your life, where you need 
some transforming work of God done. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes to do that for you. That doesn't leave you where you are, but moves you closer to the place where God wants us to be. I want to read from Galatians 5. It's lengthier than the other passages I've read, so, so stay with me. Galatians 5, 16, reading from the New Living Translation today. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer subject to the law. And that's where the conflict comes from he was talking about. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. I've never had that one. How about you? (laughs) Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here there is no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit. There's two words that are used in the New Testament that talk about the experience of life that comes to believers as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. One of them is an old word that we don't use a lot anymore except at church. It's the word sanctification. Sanctification means simply that we just set our lives apart to God. We give ourselves to Him. And it's sanctification that makes us unique and distinct among people. It's that setting ourselves apart to God that lets others know without our ever speaking a word that we belong to God, that we're different than uh, other people because we've given ourselves to God. The other word that's kind of coupled with that is the word holiness. Because when the Spirit comes to us, He empowers us and enables us to live a holy life. Not the life of evil I just read about, but the life filled with love and joy and peace and patience and all of those good characteristics. Holiness is God's behavioral code for Christians. It marks us as Christ followers. 
We gain our authority, our integrity, our influence, our missional effectiveness in the world because of holiness. And without the indwelling Spirit of God, we are ineffective in the work that He has given us to do because we have to be transformed by the presence of the Spirit. Well, there are a lot more reasons that I could talk about why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's probably enough for today, don't you think? (laughs) That's enough to chew on, enough to think about. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. Just as we receive our salvation by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit by faith. We won't see him come. We'll experience him come. We'll know there's something different. We will sense his indwelling presence. But we receive him by faith. Have you invited by faith the Holy Spirit to be part of your life? Bill Bright used an illustration to talk about this that I want to share with you. He says, suppose that you want to cash a check for $100. Would you go to the bank where you have several thousand dollars on deposit, place the check on the counter, get on your knees and beg, oh, please, Miss Teller, cash my check. Bill hasn't been to the bank lately. He, he might see that. but uh, No, that is not the way... I want to cash a check. You simply go in, in faith, you place the check on the counter, and you wait for the money, which is already yours. Then you thank the teller, hopefully, and go on your way. But millions of Christians are begging God, begging him for something that is readily available, just waiting to be appropriated by faith, They are seeking some kind of an emotional experience, not realizing that such an attitude on their their part is an insult to God, a denial of faith, but faith is the only way you can please God, and faith is the only way you will have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. My ask today, if I were to use business language, my ask today is that you invite the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe you've done that a lot of times before. But you become aware in the hour or so, almost an hour we've been together, that the Spirit is prompting you about something. He's nudging you. He's gentle. But He's nudging. Invite the Spirit in your life today. Why? Because God has plans and purposes for you that will not be accomplished without his presence. There's a diagram that I want you to see. If uh, girls could put it up on the screen. When Christ is centered in our life, when the spirit is centered in our life, we're empowered to reach the world. And that's our commission. Why do we need the spirit? We need it the same reason the first disciples needed it. When Jesus said, wait in that room until you receive the gift of the spirit. Because it is the Spirit's indwelling presence that transforms us and empowers us and shapes us and gifts us and allows us to be what God created us to be in the beginning. His servants in the world. His bearers of good news. His agents of love. 
That's our call. We're going to stand together and sing a song. We're going to do a couple of things as we sing. One is we'll receive our offering. If you have your offering this morning, just drop it in the plate as it comes by. Put the connection card in if you want to. But as we're led in this moment of worship, it may be that in addition to joining in in the singing and dropping your offering in the plate, that you need to just have a little conversation with the Lord. And it can be as simple as this. Come, Holy Spirit. I need you. Come.